This week's show, we have something a little bit different. We're joined by two guests this time, Dr. Anya McNamara, a leading researcher in the world of talent development, and Dr. David Passmore, who some of our more regular listeners will know we've had on the show before. Both of them are in the School of Health and Human Performance in DCU, and in this episode, we're going to review the coaching masterclass that they recently held there in DCU. The focus this year was on the talent pathway and fantastic speakers such as brother Colm O'Connell of World Athletics fame and Stuart Lancaster of Leinster Rugby, that's to name just a few. This was a really interesting conversation, I really enjoyed it. We touched on a huge range of topics and I hope you all get something out of it. Enjoy. Okay, bit of a different episode today. Delighted to be joined by Dr. Anya McNamara and Dr. David Passmore. Guys, thanks a million for being here. We're going to review the DCU Talent uh, Development Masterclass that took place over the last week. Um, one of the highlights for me was brother Colm O'Connell that was on on the Friday night. So obviously he just got named uh, the World Athletics Coach of the Year. Um, so some great learnings from him. And I suppose one of the big things that jumped out at me was that he talked about having no formal coaching or athletics training for the first 10 years or so. So we might jump in there and, uh, and get your thoughts on that, if that's okay. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that he, had, he talked around having no formal athletics qualifications and how he almost came about it by accident when he, moved, when he moved over in a different role. But I think what I thought was really interesting is that, of course, he, doesn't have an, he didn't have an athletics background or an athletics coaching background, but he had a very strong teaching and pedagogical background. You know, he was a teacher, he knew about people, and he knew about teaching and coaching. In fact, that's probably more important than the technical or tactical aspects in a lot of ways in that he was able to share under, share an understanding but also help people to make the most of what they were. And I think sometimes we overlook the, the how you coach and why you coach and focus too much on the technical and tactical aspects, especially for young coaches. Yeah, I think it's very common these days. If, if you look at many of the top coaches across all the sports, around the world that it's not a formal education system uh, or coaching qualifications that, that they credit to get into where they are. It's actually how they use the skills that they have or that they've developed in other contexts like Anya's just mentioned. In Colm's situation, it was through his teaching. Um, and that's not uncommon. Joe Schmidt, Brian Cody, you know, they're all teachers. Then you've got people like Liam Sheedy who will bring in a leadership background from their work. But most uh, elite coaches learn through observing um, and self-directed learning so that's where they go out and deliberately will go and observe another sport a top coach and Colin referenced that quite a lot how he spent a lot of time just hanging around other top coaches um, and I think it was indicative when he spoke as well how he couldn't necessarily articulate some of the things he did particularly clearly and he didn't use what we might consider coaching language because he basically adopted what he saw other people doing really well. Um, so in that respect was kind of learning from others and from his own observations and, and a lot from trial and error, which is how most elite coaches uh, tend to learn. So the great thing about teaching is you learn to become a really good reflective practitioner um, and uh, reflections crucial in the process of development of any form of expertise, whether it's in the medical profession, legal profession, your ability to learn from prior experience is essential. Um, but no, it was really nice that the interpersonal skills were at the forefront of what he does. He, you know, he talked a lot about putting the person first and it wasn't that he was an athletics coach. He'd look to develop people. And it's clear if you look at some of the people he developed and, and their character and their nature as they, uh, as they um, evolved as athletes, how they've become or are really good people as well and very grounded and well-rounded. And I thought, actually, and I think what's really important to recognise as well is that he, he blew me away in the way he talked and it made it sound really simple, but it's far from simple in the stuff that he's done. So I think there's a real, real importance of not being taken for granted in, in terms of what he's doing, that it's actually, he's, he's a really, really good coach. And even though he talks simply about it, it's actually a really complex thing. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is that he recognised after a period of time that he had to go away and backfill that knowledge with formal athletics coaching awards. So it wasn't that he had that he was 
he'd re- reached a plateau and he was just good. He got to somewhere and then realised the gaps that he was missing. So like they said, that reflection of where can I get more and what do I need to do more of is really important. So uh, David mentioned the observation thing as well and, and uh, Brother Colm said a couple of times that he reckoned he just had a good eye for seeing rhythm and movement. And that observation piece I'd like to touch on, do we think that that is... Is that something that we're, we just naturally have or do we develop that? Like, I don't know how much of a formal training, let's say, it can tell us what to look for maybe in the technical side, but can that, can we bring that in or how do we develop that if, that, if I'm trying to get to? Well, it was really interesting because if I went and watched the video, so I try and research the, the speakers we have in and there was a, a great video done about, about Brother Colin McConnell by Eamon Coughlin who went over to Ten in Kenya and observed him coaching and, and Brother Colin would be there like, do you see? Can you see the lack of rhythm? Can you see it's slightly dropped? And I rewound the video five times and I could not see what he was talking about. Now, I would imagine, I would hope I have some good observational skills in that respect. Um, however, to answer your question, I think you have to see something enough. You have to see what good looks like. So in the context of talent development, you have to know what the best looks like. And... That's why it's really good when you have a coach who is super good at developing athletes but has had that that bird's eye view looking down. What we don't have enough is where those people, they've worked at the top and then they're prepared to come back down and work with development athletes. So you have that eye that he'd obviously developed. I don't think it's innate. Um, uh, so, so would this tie in then, Anya, what you're saying about having that more... Uh, going back then for the technical to get get on top of that sort of the, the really nitty-gritty of, of the technique. Absolutely, and I think if you think where Brother Cullen is based, he's based in a place where there's world-class talent and he's surrounded by people with good movement to develop to kind of a reservoir of what, like Dave said, good looks like and is able to build out of that body of knowledge to make those changes and to, to see the differences that uh, that are really apparent to him. So then being able to recognise that what do I need to do next bit and being able to backfill it, like I said, with more technical or tactical or whatever is important in your sport to improve those people's performance. But I'll touch on, I'd like to touch on what Dave said as well. It's really important. And I think what really struck me when Brother, to- Brother Cullum talked was this passion for development. And it's not often you see that with elite, elite level coaches. And I think we saw it a couple of times over the weekend. Stuart Lancaster on Saturday was the same. And the way they talked about the importance of supporting those athletes on the pathway and what they get out of helping young athletes get better. And I think the more we can play up and down the pathway, the better the product we get at the end of it, more than we can. Okay, so that that's twice now that we've mentioned two of our speakers talk about building that relationship between the coach and the athlete. So we will get to Stuart Lancaster's uh, bit in a minute. But uh, David, you already mentioned that that relationship is so important. So can we give some of our listeners maybe a, a practical output and how we can do that based maybe based off the literature or based on your own experience or how can we actually develop that well i think it's about spending time with people and and as coaches you know when i when i work in formal courses they want to know all the the procedural knowledge how do i coach x y and z can you give me some drills for x y and z but actually coaching if it's if if people are at the forefront of it it's about spending time with people and getting to know them which i think as a nation you know, in Ireland, we're very good at that side, um, but I'm not sure coaches value it enough. And I think Liam Moggan made a very important point to me before Colm came in. He said, look, he's going to say some very simple things. And the, 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 the coaches there will come back and say, well, what does he really do? As if that is not the importance, but that's the guts of it. Developing, forging, understanding of the person and creating a self-awareness around yourself as a coach, but around how you interact with your 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 athletes and your connectivity. Now, in my context, I know I don't connect with all 24 athletes in our group, but I know there are other people that, that do. And whilst you spend time, you don't build that rapport or relationship that you want to, just because you're two different, very different characters. And that in itself is also an important attribute and strength that coaches need to work on and develop that you know it's not all about them it's actually about the person and it doesn't matter if you're the head coach of a program if somebody else connects with them and builds that relationship and rapport then that's just as good um and coaches we can be a bit egotistical in that respect it's all about me and us you know and what i loved about i think there was great learning in what column 
Colm has no interest in working with the senior athletes. He wanted to talk about the development athletes all the time. So we introduced him as, you know, 24 world senior world um, record holders, five gold medals from the Olympics. And all he wanted to talk about was his current crop of developing athletes. And what we don't do is acknowledge those coaches enough, number one. So where, where in Irish sport do we acknowledge? We, we, we acknowledge the coaches at the top, um, not the people who've supported along the pathway. And then, you know, why aren't we acknowledging those? And why aren't we, why don't we invest more in those people to stay with those age groups? We always want to see somebody who's really good at under 16 or under, under 21 county team. We want to push them to be a senior uh, county coach, not leave them where they are, where they're best, but value them. And because we don't value them, of course, they want to go and coach at the top where they will feel valued. So I think as a nation and, uh, you know, as a sporting coaching culture, we need to review and accept that. And I'll never forget Declan Kidney when he won the first Grand Slam. Um, and the first thing he did was he acknowledged all the junior club and school coaches for their input and impact on that. And that should never be forgotten. And having been a junior club coach and a school coach himself and developed many top athletes like Ogara and, and, and Peter Stringer, there is your perfect example. Somebody who's been at the top, understands the development pathway, but also acknowledges the importance of those coaches along the way. Yeah, and I think for me it was really... Um, important we've, we've seen the weekend lessons from the pathway and I really wanted to get the idea across that youth coaching is the destination in itself and it takes a long time to to be good as a youth coach whether that's at club or international level and actually the skills and attributes you need to be a good development coach are different to the skills and attributes you need to be a good elite coach in a lot of cases and you need time to build that and you need time to build those relationships and understand what's required of you but you also need to support them the context you're in to give you that time there because the performance is different as an as a youth coach than it is as an adult coach for me as a youth coach you're about developing players for the future as an adult elite coach I want to win on Saturday a lot of the time and that's how I'm judged so we have to judge people differently based on where they are in the pathway but it's back to the idea around the relationships I think that was really crucial from what brother Colm talked about and it was about the person first and the athlete second and even how he talked about changing the culture of women and women's running in in Etan and that it, it became something that they could do and just the way he talked with passion about that was really fantastic because it was it was that relationship that he believed in them and gave them an avenue to do that but also I think the thing about relationships with athletes is that you have to treat the athletes differently you know, so sometimes they'll need an arm around the shoulder and sometimes they need to kick up the bum. And I have to make sure that I'm not, and sometimes they don't know what they need, but you have to make sure that we're challenging them and supporting them at different times. Um, and yeah, that's a balance that I think a lot of coaches struggle yeah. with and certainly have tackled, you know, struggled a bit with myself. But ultimately, most athletes want what's best for them. And I think that that push, that stretch, whatever you want to call it, and it's about how you, you get that person to want to improve themselves. And I think that was evident in how Brother Colm then, he, he doesn't go to a lot of these senior competitions. His job's done when they get to seniors. If he's done his job properly, that's the way he viewed it. Um, and he doesn't need to be there. He's quite happy sitting back and watching on the telly and gets just as, if not more, satisfaction from that and knows he's done a job well. But he also knows, you know, he, he talked a little bit about where people were unsuccessful and how when they came back they needed to really review honestly themselves and he was a facilitator of that and reading between the lines I think he's probably in a very he makes being uncomfortable comfortable so asking the difficult questions getting the athletes to be totally self-reflective and honest I didn't do this I didn't do that I could have done that I should have done that which is uncomfortable but making them feel comfortable doing it and that it is perfectly natural um it is a difficult skill that's probably grossly underestimated in youth coaching. Okay, I want to go. You, the two of you have touched on about 17 different topics there that I want to get into. Um, I'm going to bring it back to uh, talking about valuing those those youth development coaches or those coaches who are involved with the younger age groups. We had Matt Wilkie on earlier in the series and he talked about uh, developing the best under 10 coach he possibly could and keeping them there and eventually training someone else up to be to that level and then that the, the, the first coach can move on and, and progress as a coach but but while after giving the best of his experience and his expertise at that level 
Stuart Lancaster on the Saturday morning gave a fantastic presentation, but he talked about becoming an expert in how to coach. So do we think that sometimes we lose this? You mentioned ego earlier, Dave, as well, in terms of the coach earlier, but do you think that we lose this somewhere along the line that we're too focused on our development as a coach rather than developing the player? I think so, and I think, I think it's changed in the last, I guess, 20 years or so. You know, back, back in the day where content was harder to get, we go and we learn to be a coach because we, we want to get the drills and we want to get the skills and we want to get the techniques, but we can get, anyone can get contact. Go on Twitter, go on Google, and you can find out the what to do. But I think what really came out with Stuart and Brother Cullum and, and other speakers over the weekend was that it was much more to do with the... What, uh, how I coach the way I coach and why I coach the way I coach. So the kind of the epistemology, my understanding of, of why I do what I do. And I think that's the thing we really have to emphasize. And that's as important if I'm coaching the under six nursery as if I'm coaching the international team. I have to understand why I'm doing things in the way that I'm doing it. And some days I might do it like this and other days I might do it, do it like that. But I have to be able to understand and explain the rationale for what I'm doing. And I think some of the speakers over the weekend were really good in that, in that they were mm. really able to give their kind of philosophy about why they do it. And that might mean I change it on a Monday and a Friday, but there's a reason I'm doing that. And, and, I think that's and that form of, uh, I suppose I would call that declarative knowledge, you know, why we do something in a particular way is often grossly lacking in, you know, and I've been a coach development manager, so I'm probably as guilty of this as the rest, but... The first thing we should do, and we tried to do this in the last program I worked in within hockey, is that it, there were age-specific courses. So we had an under-10s and under-12s. And the first thing we did was try to look at, well, what does an individual of this age, what are their motivations, what are their physical capability, what are their challenges, what mental skills will they have, won't they have, should we develop? And only when you understand the declarative knowledge around what a kid is like, as teachers would get, can you then really truly start to coach them? And I think we tend to jump in and it's all about drills and exercises. And ultimately I've seen a well, world-class coaches deliver the most simple things and it's been world-class. Um, and I've seen other people try to, to, to do the same yeah. exercise and it is completely not world-class. Yeah. And I think it was one of the things we tried to get across in a couple of the sessions and certainly the Leinster GA Thurs session as well. It was this idea that it's principles before methods, you know, so actually it's not about what you coach. It's about why you're coaching and in the way that you're coaching it. And if you've got your principles really strong, then you can choose multiple methods to get that across. But actually, if I'm just focused on being a games based coach or a drills based coach or whatever coach, then I'm just stuck to that. But whereas we want to give coaches a toolkit so that they can choose the right method for the right person at the right time. And if we've got principles that are underpinning that, we're empowering coaches to make those choices and then to reflect on when it goes right and goes wrong and to get better over time. Okay, um, I, I want some answers now here. So people are going to be listening to this principles before methods. Okay, how do I develop these principles? Can you give me something practical? What can people do themselves to maybe, or within a coaching group or a management team, how can they actually figure out what their principles are and how they want to? Because I can imagine everyone says, this is exactly how I want to coach, but in reality, maybe something different. So how do we do this? I'll use the example from the Leinster GA boys you know so they, if we look at the thoroughest principles there's five principles you know it took us a long time to match them to the word but if I go there you know my session should be testing and challenging so how do I set up a testing and challenging session that stretches all players within my group that's really difficult because there's you know 30 kids on a pitch or 30 internationals on a pitch all with different things but how do I make sure I'm not coaching to the mean and I set up sessions that, you know, give real stretch to people, but also challenge them to get better. I want to understand that the person's at the centre of the game, you know, so it's an uh, athlete-centred approach, you know, so now I can look at my methods, but here's what I'm testing myself under. I want something that resembles the game, you know, I want it to be game-based. That doesn't mean, and I think, you know, again, people over the weekend talked really nicely about this. It doesn't mean it always has to look exactly like hockey or exactly like hurling or exactly like football. But the things that I'm doing are resembling what the person needs to do on a Saturday in the match. So whether that's small-sided stuff, whether that's drills-based stuff, whether that's individual work, but it resembles what they have to do when they go on, get on the pitch. I'm struggling to remember what the A is, uh, that it's age-appropriate, that it's... Um, uh, like what you just said, Stephen, that it's, you know, the same thing shouldn't 
be happening at an under eight session that it should be happening at a senior session and we often see that we've all probably seen sessions that are really age inappropriate that I'm getting my under eights to do the same thing that my seniors are doing on a Thursday night but it's reflecting the both the physical maturation but also the emotional and social maturation of the kids that are there that it re- reflects their needs and I think for me the most important part of those principles is that it should be enjoyable it should be holistic and it should be developmentally appropriate so if I've got those five principles and I can go out and I can reflect on my session have I made it testing and challenging was it athlete centered what did it resemble the game did it was it age appropriate was it developmentally appropriate then that's a pretty good session you know I so now I can choose the methods that would help me achieve that that exam, if you like. Um, and on the, the methods, Stuart Lancaster talked about uh, variety versus repetition. And he said sometimes we get so caught up in, in developing something technical that we, we he didn't say you can't uh, repeat drills or games or whatever, but he said you have to you have to be maybe doing going for the same thing, but using a variety of games and drills and stuff like that. Uh, like. I can say it, I'm, I'm absolutely sick of this game space versus drills kind of debate that's going on because the answer, of course, can't be either games or drills. It has to be somewhere in the middle. So if you're empowering coaches with knowledge of why you do what you do and an epistemology, an understanding of knowledge about the, the game they're involved in, they can choose the most appropriate thing method, if you like, to, to react to what they want the players to do. So, of course, it can't be one or the other, and it can't be the same every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So a really good coach will have a blend of those methods to get to the product that they want at the end. So the answer is of methods is it depends on what you want, and it depends on what you want to achieve. And the, key, the real key to good coaching is being able to choose the right method for the right outcome at the right time. And I think... Uh, in terms of your listeners here that are coaches obviously most people I would imagine would be coaching there's a sort of set of questions that I often say to coaches that I would work with in that respect that they can ask themselves as part of their reflective process so you know know, give me three points in a session where you know the majority of the athletes felt uncomfortable so development comes where you're in a position learning and development comes where you're uncomfortable so you're in that zone of proximal development where you kind of fail so you have to create an environment where players are or athletes are able to fail and it's okay and it's seen part of the development process but do we ask our athletes when did you feel most uncomfortable in this session what did you find the hardest because we perceive we know and there's a really simple thing that everyone can bring into their coaching is that is that um thing i think We've also become kind of a bit snobbery. You know, I would consider myself a games-based coach uh, at the early developmental. So if I was working with my kids, under eights, under tens, under twelves, of course, the most important thing before you work on skill development is that they understand the context of where the skill. But then there's a whole place where you have to drill that skill. But then there's, I don't like the word drill, but have exercises where two or three different techniques are, are being developed around a decision-making context. And sometimes you have to strip the person out who's not able to do one of those techniques and and work specifically on that technique. And again, they will potentially feel uncomfortable um, until they feel comfortable. Um, And there's the second question you can ask yourself. When have you moved from one to the other? Okay, I'm going to get you to go back a little bit there, Dave. Zone of proximal development. You're going to have to explain that for, for, for our listeners. Yeah, so probably the simplest way I, I would think of that is when you're learning to walk. So, um, you know, that you want to be able to walk without falling over. Well, you want to be able to walk from A to B, but before you, you'll first learn to stand, but before you can actually stand unaided for five seconds, there's a whole load of, so you're trying to walk, but there's this phase where there's a whole load of experimentation and failure in between. And so players that really, athletes that really push themselves, even if they can do a basic technique or skill within a game, the best ones can do that faster under more pressure um, and maybe throw the ball further to one side of their body or the other. But they're never encouraged to do that because the failing part, when you first try and do it, like when you first stand up, or you take your first step, you fall. So the, there's the zone of proximal development that is that, that area where you're going to fail. Um, and you'll only fail if you're actually pushing yourself. You're out of your comfort zone. You're out of where your current skill level is. Um, and, you know, good coaches will do the most basic things and be able to stretch the players in that respect and try and push them 
by making them feel comfortable and you know we, we have to applaud the effort and the the, the 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 guile of actually trying something to do it further to throw it further to do it faster to do it quicker to do it under more pressure even though it f- you first fail okay so then us as the coach we can be that more knowledgeable other to help them into that zone where they can learn but i suppose us knowing our athletes and our coaches and their their abilities we know not to try and push them too far i suppose as well okay so you've both talked about using questions you've both talked about reflection uh stuart mentioned that it's really really important that when we are coaching we need to check how do we know that the learning is actually taking place or are we just presuming that because we've laid out these lovely drills and games that it, that it's happening so how do we as coaches what is the best method is it through our own reflection is it using questions or, or how, how do we think that is well, it's a combination of those things, but ultimately questioning is probably one of the most important skills a coach can have because it elicits, does the, has the athlete understood what you've asked them to do? Um, do they understand the game, the tactic, whatever? But more importantly, how do they articulate that back to you and how does that make them feel? So we tend to offer feedback before we invite feedback. Um, and questioning for me in that sense is a, it's a process where you go from open so you, 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 you leave for them to say what they want. But the real skill is, is bringing it down. And we learned this in the Defence Forces. You should ask seven questions as a follow-up to your open question. So the how, 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 why, where, what, when questions. Well, when did you do that? How did you do that? Why did, why did you do it that way and not this way? How did that make you feel? Because that gives a depth of knowledge and understanding that you can be sure about if the, if the athlete's able to articulate. But what it then does, by going to that level, you then go out and the athlete is thinking, God, he's going to make me th- uh, think about these things to this level. And that's how you can, in, through the questioning process, create deeper thinking and understanding in your athletes. So you're actually, through questioning, make them better self-learners, in effect. Um, so, so ultimately, then they can start to ask each other questions. I think just one point for me on questioning is watching people work with group of athletes. They tend to ask one open question and always allow the same person to answer. And I think questioning has to be done constantly and in smaller groups. And sometimes you've just got to say, "On your, I'm going to ask you a question in mm-hmm. two minutes so they can start thinking about it. And on your nose that anyone is, could be asked that question. It's not just invited to an open audience, whoever wants to answer. Because often your quiet ones are the ones that can can help educate the rest of the kids. I think as well, especially for coaches working at all levels, the key way you know if learning is happening is your session design. So you set up context to elicit those new behaviours and to see how well they stand up. You know, so it's it's careful session design where you're you're teaching some skills and then you're testing some skills in a in a. Uh, resembles the game sort of context and you're seeing how people react to what's going on and how the players learn and how they get better because af- after all in, I guess in sport learning is improving and getting better and reacting to scenarios and re- reacting to what happens on the grass so careful session design does that yeah and that brings us nicely on to Brian Cullen gave a, a great presentation in the afternoon and he talked about um, in terms of athletic development for through the academies and also with, 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 with senior elite teams and he talked about the, the how did he say it, the knowledge or, or the basics, understanding the basics of, and what's required of your sport. And he said there's no point in them being 2% fitter if they can't kick a ball over the bar. So how is it important, how, how important is it that, that we're aware of, I suppose, th- these different milestones that might be required or be, whether it be fitness, whether it be technical along the pathway. And I'm just interested maybe in both the research uh, and maybe experiences that you've had yourselves. I suppose one of the other things like what Brian talked about in his talk was that when we're working with kids or young players in the pathway, you're developing, you're trying to develop the skills they need for the future. So actually, if I'm really emphasizing things like physical fitness, that's a real current this is how fit you are right now that mightn't have long-term implications because maturation and growth and all of those sort of things so actually if I was a talent development coach on the pathway I'm trying to emphasize the skills that young players need to navigate what's coming up next with the with a long-term vision and often that's technical stuff tactical stuff rather than transient kind of values that that are important in the now but aren't important for the next step or or lose their value in the next step as well okay and while we're on talent pathways i'm going to jump in so the two of you guys gave gave presentations as well 
and you talked about various lessons that you can learn from these pathways so another point brian brought up was that potentially uh you can get this tug of war between coaches so you have your snc you have your fitness you have your skills coach you have your tactical coach and everybody wanting their their um their part of it to be the most important and more time with the players and stuff like that so one have you found the experience of that or two if you have uh, what's the solution to that and sorry that's a, a tough couple of questions there yeah when i first came over when i first started working in ireland i was told by our strengthening and conditioning coach with our senior men that they they couldn't do any hockey in a week that that they needed to recover from their gym sessions so effectively they were going to get fitter but playing no hockey so uh, you know that that is one of the tug of wars that goes goes um, which goes on all the time. I think what coaches need to develop is working with people to be able to match the two. So we've just done some work on using GPS data from small-sided games, is finding, well, which games suit the physical needs? So can we get the same physical outputs as a as a, a conditioning, a running program, rather than them doing pure running, you know, shuttles, fartleks, um, by playing small-sided games, so actually there's a decision-making and skill content within it, and that's that's the that's the challenge. Is that ideally, I think, good coaches will find the ability to do that. Um, and you're right, the the essence at the moment is the thing that's taken over, as if it's the be all and end all. Um, and we've got super physical kids who 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 can't do the basics of their game, and and I think that's a a big worry. So. Th- where I see good conditioning coaches moving to is, you know, the ability to do field-based conditioning. So it's integrated within a session and sort of the MAS principle. So even if you're having a training session and you step out and you do four sets of 50 metres and then you go back in and do small-sided games so that your total running distance is what you need um, to, to sort of get to the physical peaks that you need. Um, but it's the same with, you know, too much technical work you know too much technical work then i see i see i see good players doing the wrong using the wrong technique at the wrong time so they're not skillful just because they've had too much focus on one technique so you know teaching technique without a decision is is pointless okay so basically what we're saying is we need the balance we need all the components of the game to be people to be working together and i suppose it goes right back to the start of our conversation that the 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 center of it has to be the athlete or the person so are we thinking of their needs as best as we possibly can when developing developing them? Yeah, and I think it's it's really important. That's really important in that there's like almost like a system controller who manages that and has the long term vision in mind. But I also think it's really important that we recognise that it, there was coaches at the at the weekend from all sorts of different different backgrounds, from grassroots, from right up to international. And of course, those pathways shouldn't mirror each other. So if I've if I've only got a kids one hour a week or two hour a week and I'm a hockey coach, I want a ball and stick in hand, you know, most of the time. If I'm an international coach and I have them for 15 hours a week, then I've more freedom to do lots of other things as part of their diet. So it's getting the diet right for the audience that you're working with. And if I'm if I'm a grassroots coach and I've limited contact with kids, I want a ball in their hand, I want them on the pitch and I want them doing stuff that will get them better for the next bit rather than focusing on kind of isolated silos of, of the game. I think one of the things that can also restrict in that sense and can add some complexity into the tug and pull, particularly when you've got um, a young athlete who's, you know, is two age groups or one age group at school, county, club, and they're all pulling at him. Um, you know, the, the, this this whole notion is that you have these competitions which are knockout, so everything builds to a crescendo, um, and you know, I th- I, f- I found it really. Uh, enlightening and very refreshing to hear the Ladies Gaelic Football Association who've brought in this new Blitz programme into Ladies Gaelic Football and what they're now looking at is so if you're if you get to the court final and that's the first round you play and you get knocked out that's it so you've done all this work for absolutely no reason and I think that puts more pressure on coaches and on the physical preparation because it all comes down to one moment whereas now they're playing Blitzes with a number of games and now they're looking at, well, what other benefits can you get from these blitz days and how can the coaches maximise the learning within that? And then that takes that takes the pressure off everybody to sort of reach this one crescendo. 
and actually you can have a broader base of of the way in which you develop your athletes your participants across a period of time so you can combine things and there's less pull and pull because it doesn't come down to one moment in time and i really liked what they what ladies football talked around is that the the change in structure by changing the goalpost of what the competition looked like you give coaches a license to do real development work so now if i'm bringing my team to play your team it's not just about whether we win 210 to 24 it's about giving me a, an opportunity to develop my coaching giving players an opportunity to do something differently so again it's that idea that competition for your under 14s should look different than competition for your senior team and the examples that they were giving around that from both a playing perspective and a coaching perspective are things that we should be able to do every week on the pitch even if the structure is just there it give, it's giving us license to change how we use it to help develop those players for the future yeah I, I think and i think one of the best things about the weekend was that the variety of coaching in the audience and attendance so it was people from five maybe 10 11 different sports and everyone was open to sharing and learning and i think there's loads of tidbits that we can take from those yeah and even like some of the stuff that ladies football would have talked around you know simple you know for your the people listening it's like simple strategies about how to make competition day better like how often do we ring the opposition coach on a Thursday and say, how are you fixed for Saturday? What does your team look like? We're really weak this week. Will you do this? How about we play this sort of thing for the first 10 minutes? Because it's kids' competition and we can, you know, even if the competition rules are there, there's fuzziness around how we manipulate those to give the kids the best experience possible on the day. And just the value of the weekend of people in the room and often almost like being given a license going, oh, I can make those calls. I can do that sort of stuff. And learning from other people to do that is really valuable. And, you know, this is our sixth masterclass here at DCU. And when I first set up the masterclasses, it was really about creating a multi-sport event. So we have a lot of coach development uh, class. And other than the Sport Island uh, coaching one, which happens sort of every two years, there's not enough opportunity for sharing across sports. And probably the best and most um, satisfying feedback from from the weekend was you know i got a text saying you know the presenters were brilliant i learned loads this and that but most importantly the culture of sharing and openness across sports was massive and you know having lens lens to gaa and the ladies gaelic football um lens to rugby all these different sports and that is the most important thing we can do is that we we open and we share and the culture of sharing across the weekend was absolutely uh, phenomenal and you know that the sooner people open their eyes to what you can learn from other sports other coaches other contexts is you know um, will only go to to improve their own that said I still saw people walk in they came in for one or two sessions from their sport and left well that's their choice um, but what I feel is is what a what a massively lost mm. opportunity that that was yeah and I absolutely echo what Dave just said and I think for me the real one of the real learnings that from chatting to people afterwards was that look there's no there's no magic bullet in sport no one has the secret that will get your team to win and it's kind of like that principles before methods there's there and they're not a secret you know what good looks like isn't a secret the real crux of good coaching is putting it into practice on the grass so the more we're and what was brilliant was like everyone from brother column right down to grassroots ga were willing to share what they think is working for them but also that vulnerability of putting up what they think is good and in front of an aud- uh, kind of an audience with views that were happy to kind of shoot stuff down as well and i think that's a real value of coach education or coach development is the vulnerability of saying here's what we're doing what do you think and having feedback from other people and being willing to go you know what we're not we're not 100% yet this is what we're going to do next yeah and i think having an opportunity that people are allowed to ask questions and stuff like that it, it allows that to, to, to keep going yeah absolutely and from talking to the Leinster Leinster GA and stuff and ladies football um in our debriefs afterwards they absolutely cherish those opportunities to get their ideas out to other sports and in fact they the Leinster were very surprised because people were asking oh why isn't this happening in Connacht? Why isn't it happening in Ulster? And they're like, let us happen. Here's the stuff. Here's the resources. It's not as if we're keeping it behind a, a paywall and not letting other people have it. Because, in fact, it's just good coaching. But it's up to people on the ground to put it into practice. And, and there, was, there were a few eureka moments for me and probably for everyone else in the audience. So somebody asked about parents. Um, do you struggle with parents? I think that question came to, to, to Brian Cullen. And, you know everybody started nodding in the audience because we've also all experienced but how much education 
how much do we explain our methods, our principles, our coaching philosophy to our parents? Um, because if they don't understand what we're doing and why we do it, then how can we expect them to be supportive of that? And I think that, that there were a few moments. The, the, the other ones were some kind of, uh, we had a great session on the Friday evening with a group of athletes, um, DCU, international athletes that have been, and Neve uh, Fennelly from, from, uh, from women's soccer spoke about one of her deselections and the impact that had on it. And everyone was shaking their heads. But you look up in the audience and then there's some coaches there who start reflecting on how they may have dropped somebody or, or, or not communicated effectively with somebody in a given s sensitive situation. And you could see their heads dropping. Um, and, you know, so some of the best learnings were unintended learnings within the conference because people were sharing and because, you know, sport as a context and coaching as a context is similar across all disciplines. So for me, that that panel was unbelievable. I couldn't get over how honest the girls were, and some of the, like, quite frankly, horror stories that came with it. Um, they talked an awful lot about dealing with that adversity and and how that we got past it. And Anya, what I wanted to ask you is, how can we actually empower our players when we're developing those through those pathways? How can we empower them to deal with that adversity and and to to learn from it? I suppose or grow from it. I suppose there's two bits to think about. One is uh, I do lots of work around kind of the role of challenge or the role of adversity in terms of developing talent. And one of the things that we see is that your your early high flyer, the best, the next big thing generally has a nice upward trajectory where they're nice and smooth and they keep on going and they're the Irish under 16, Irish under 18, they get into professional academy, etc. But inevitably there's going to be a, a bump on the road at some stage. And what our research shows that, that is that if they've had a very smooth upward trajectory as a youth athlete and then they get a bump in the road, that often derails them and they never make it. They never become what their potential looked like they were going to become. But athletes who experience like the girls talked about on the panel on Friday night both big and small kind of mini challenges on the way up and that's not always the big things like being dropped or getting injured it might be you know struggling at school it might be struggling with a skill it might be different types of challenges but as they go through those ups and downs they develop a lot of the psychological skills that they need to make it in sport they develop the resilience the robustness the determination the commitment that they'll eventually need at the top level but if they haven't experienced those, that adversity on the way up how are they going to kind of develop that kind of armory of skills to make it at the top so what we're seeing a lot of the time in some really good pathways is that we'll periodize that challenge so we'll make sure that we put in periods of adversity if they're not naturally occurring, uh, especially for the high flyers. But it's not about the adversity. It's not about the challenge, but it's about equipping young players with the skills to cope with it. So we would use a cycle where we would teach some psychological skills. We would teach the skills that people need to cope with challenge. And then we would test them, whether it's naturally occurring uh, challenges, moving to university for some of these girls they talked about, or if they're not occurring, we'd put bumps in the road to see how well they're doing. And then we'd take them out and we'd give them a period of reflection. What was going on? What worked? What didn't work? What could we do better? And then we'd repeat the cycle where we teach them more skills, test them, tweak them. So when they get to the stage where things really get tough, they have a toolbox of psychological skills to pull on to be able to cope with that and make the most of their, their potential, if you like. I think um, coaches and parents... Um, they, 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 those moments come about regularly, but we don't acknowledge them and use them to the best of ability. So what I'm talking about is if my one of my kids come home and goes, oh, I've been dropped. Okay, and the first thing they'll say is, no, well, such and such was selected. And then they'll almost try and turn me against the coach. And, you know, it's very easy to go along with that rather than actually think, well, you've been dropped for a reason, what are you going to do about it? So let's use this as an opportunity to learn and develop and grow and gain some resilience. Or an injury. So what did the, uh, Rob Carney do when he when he injured his leg? He, he built his upper body. So it's about creating opportunity and thinking differently rather than going there, there, poor you. Let's all gang up on this person or th this thing that's happened and give lots of sympathy because ultimately that doesn't help. And, you know, grit, resilience in, in, in top athletes is probably one of the most important skills that they can have. And... Kids used to grow up in a culture in the 60s and 70s where that was developed as part of their day-to-day -day upbringing. You know, we, we're, we're too protective now um, or they're too, you know, protected by um, 
rules and, and guidelines and parents trying to do the right thing, but ultimately they may not be doing the right thing. So actually, it's not just the coaches and the psychs who can create that bumpy road. It's acknowledging when the bumps are happening and trying to make the most out of it and make them enthusiastic about how they can challenge themselves to come back better, stronger, harder, tougher, more robust. And exactly like Dave said, it's about those skills he just listed at the end. So it's about a skills-based approach to development and a above-the-neck skills, psychological skills. And I think when we were presenting our lessons from the Junior Green Army from hockey, what we, we really said was like, oh, yeah, we've got a very good physical, technical and tactical pathway there. We know what we're doing. But actually, one of the things we saw was that when the girls were transitioning into a senior setup, they were missing some psychological skills, if you like. And certainly when they were coming into 21's program they were missing some of the the skills we would like them to have so we were teaching those skills not through a sports side thing but through a hockey coaching thing or a strategic where we lived or how we coached to make sure we gave them an opportunity to develop the skills the psychological skills to deal with the adversity that they would face when they moved to the next level of hockey or when they moved out of the program or when they got injured and I think you know Sarah Torrens one of the players that day really talked about you know when she got injured of course she was devastated but actually she had some psychological skills to be able to cope with that and has now come come back as a stronger athlete as a result okay and I think that's really really important and it's their messages now that, that are, their message is going out to coaches but also to parents that are listening and that are actually things that they can look at those um, bumps in the road as they're called as potential opportunities to uh, to to get over and to, to grow as, as an athlete, but also as a person, and these life skills will help them coming through. I mean, we talked about formal education. I think the thing that, you know, I probably developed most in my own coaching is my understanding of how to develop. You know, most, most school teams, club teams, they don't have a psychologist. They don't need one, but coaches, teachers need, to have that skill understanding, those psychological skills and skill development. So fortunate enough to work with Anya, I think that's probably better placed in my own coaching, um, which, is, which, which is where the national governing bodies now need to incorporate that within the context of their own coach development. Okay, so we've got loads of good points uh, about experiences and reflections over the weekend and stuff like that. Anya, I want to come back to something you mentioned in one of your talks. You talked about the future game and what's next and in terms of maybe preparing our future athletes. Do you maybe want to expand on that a little? Sure. I think the point I was trying to make was that for lots of the coaches in the room, they're coaching kids that are aged between 6 and 18 in 2020. And actually what, for a lot of sports, the game looks way different in 2020 than it looked in the year 2000. Rugby looks completely different. Hockey is a game that evolves all the time in terms of real changes, physical input, etc. So actually... If we're developing players for the future, we have to, to make sure the things that we're coaching now are adaptable uh, and give them a foundation to, to cope with challenge and choice as they progress because the game will look different. If I'm coaching the under 10s rugby, some of them will go into other sports. So if I make things very narrow now, I'm limiting their destination in 10 years time because I'm not giving them the skills to be able to transfer to other sports or to cope with the sport when it changes or especially for young athletes, if I'm if I'm working, I always give an example of like rugby or hurling or something. If I'm a big kid in rugby, I'm put into a certain position and I'm taught certain skills as a 12 year old. So I look like a prop and taught to do that. I get to 16 and I grow and I've matured and I don't look like a, fr a front row forward anymore and I look like an outside back, but I have a, none of the coaching to give me the skills to be a good outside back because people focus on just what I was good at right now rather than what I might be good at in the future. So we have to make sure we give players a breadth of experiences and a breadth of skills to be able to move in and out of different sports and to cope with the changes of the sport of the future and their destination of the future as well. And I think that that is an unbelievably powerful message to go out to anyone working with uh, with kids in sport. Mm -hmm. It's not always the biggest, fastest at 10, 11, 12 years of age that we have to be thinking uh, further along down the line. And I suppose, it, again, it comes back to athlete and, pl and player or person-centered approach. And I think that's really powerful. Look, guys, I'm really conscious of the time. And I know when you two get together that we could talk for hours. So um, I think there's a huge amount of takeaways for in, in this. We talked about reflection and observation, questioning, uh, the value of having a, a pathway laid out and, and that people-centered approach. My favorite quote from the whole thing that David already mentioned was, 
get comfortable being uncomfortable i think that's a really really good mantra for uh for peop- people especially around the teenage bracket to how they're coaching um there's gonna be a lot of people here looking to see what the story is where, where can we get this next master class when it's on stuff like that anya you're looking at doing something uh, in a couple of months maybe yeah so on the back of the success of last weekend one of the things that i really noticed was that you know we had 250 coaches there but you know, there wasn't a huge amount of females there. There wasn't a huge amount of female coaches. And with it being 20, 2020 and the 20 by 20 um, uh, slogans going on, we're looking to run a, a masterclass on the 28th of March uh, focused on coaching uh, women and girls in sport. So it's not just for female coaches, but it's for people that are coaching girls and women on the pathway. And we're really lucky that the Defence Forces are going to co-host it with us um, as part of their uh, performance domain, if you like, in terms of getting uh, more girls and females involved in that performance domain. So we're looking, we're really lucky. We've got some really great sports involved from golf, GA, rugby, hockey, and um, other sports that are going to share their kind of initiatives and experiences of getting and keeping girls girls involved in sport <clears throat> yeah and and having talking to you earlier on it sounds like it's going to be a great event and we'll certainly put details of that up on the uh on the twitter the bubble coaching page uh david i'll let you finish off um what have we got in store for masterclass next year or is it too soon to reveal no i mean we started probably started thinking about it even during the event i was starting to think about it and uh you know i think th- one of the key themes that's come out of this discussion and came out of the event was better coaching mates you know better athletes um, better athletes make better teams so I think the focus will revert a little bit back to the applied coaching how and what you coach um, and maybe look at we're going to sort of look to bring in a practical element where we where we actually get really good top uh, practitioners um, in and getting them coaching and getting them getting other people coaching to look at their own coaching practice and that's something that's grossly underestimated We've already targeted some some big names from Irish sport, but actually some of the best people we could bring in may be unknowns. Mm. And so I just encourage everybody who has an interest in developing teams, athletes themselves as coaches to, it will be in the first two weeks of, of, of January next year and we'll confirm the dates very soon. Excellent, that's great. And again, we'll share all those details. Anya, David, thanks a million for your time. Uh, I think there's so much stuff to be, people can take from this uh, uh, I don't know how we summed up the weekend in, in just under an hour, but no, it's been fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Bubble, and I hope you learned something to help you with your own coaching. Please follow us on Twitter, at Bubble Coaching, where we will put any books or resources mentioned on the show up on the page. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and feel free to get in touch with any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. As always, the show is produced by Niall Williams and the Coach Education Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening.